Hello everybody, this is the first sermon in a new series looking at mission. We're asking what is our mission? And this first sermon is looking at creation. We are now in a season where many people in the UK are analysing their priorities. As the lockdown starts to be released, we must all make decisions about the routines and activities we return to. For those who've enjoyed seeing more of their families, how many work hours are they prepared to put in when offices reopen? For those in the cities who've enjoyed not having to commute, will they move to the countryside from where they can continue their work online? For those who have missed the opportunity to see ageing parents or their grandchildren, will they take steps to ensure they get to see them more regularly in the future, either by retiring or moving to a new house? Human beings tend to be creatures of habit. We don't make changes to our regular schedules unless something comes along and shakes us out of them. Well, COVID-19 has done just that. Lockdown has been so painful for so many. Now it is starting to be released. We want to make up for lost time. For others, lockdown has given a great opportunity to get life into a healthier balance. And we do not want to go back to how things were. The weeks we are entering into now are a rare opportunity in life to reset our pattern for living, to get our values straight, to start out as we mean to go on. None of us should waste this. Of course, what is true for the UK population is also true for Christians. We too have an opportunity to analyse our priorities and to set out to live for God once more. This is what our new series on Sunday evenings is going to be all about. When the church starts to talk about its priorities and goals in life, we tend to fill our conversations with a certain word. Mission. If we ask the question, what is the mission of God's people? We are asking, what is our purpose as Christians? Why do we exist? What on earth are we here for? I'm sure you will agree these are big fundamental questions, the answer to which should define everything about us. The word mission comes from a Latin word which means to send. In the Bible God sent many people out on a mission for him, but the range of activities for which he sent them was vast. Joseph was sent on a mission of famine relief. Moses was sent on a mission of justice. Elijah was sent on a mission of political engagement. Jeremiah was sent on a mission of preaching God's word. The apostles were sent on a mission of evangelism. Apollos was sent on a mission of teaching. Titus was sent on a mission of administration in the early church. God regularly sent his people out in the Bible, but the task he sent them with was often different. This is important for us to realise, for when we hear the word mission, often the only thing that comes into our head is evangelism, giving out tracts on street corners, knocking on people's doors, sharing our testimonies, inviting people to special events at church. All of this is good, and in a few weeks we will have a sermon on evangelism. But it's important we understand that evangelism is not the same as mission. Rather, it is a type of mission. 
The purpose of Christians on earth is much broader than this, which may come as a relief to those of us who struggle with face-to-face evangelism, though it is not an excuse for us not to try. There is one final thing to say about this word mission before we properly begin. We so often talk about the mission of the church, but first and foremost, the mission of God's people is God's mission. God himself has a goal and a purpose for his whole creation, and our mission flows directly from his. In fact, God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. The whole reason for our existence is bound up in what God is trying to accomplish with what he has made. This is very important. If we want to know what the point of our existence on Isla is in 2021 and what values we're supposed to be living by, the only place we will find that is by looking at what God is up to in this world that he has made. So for the next nine weeks, we're going to be asking, what is our mission? And now we understand what that question means. What is God sending all of us out of the doors of this church to do right now? What are we to live for in post-lockdown Isla? Hopefully I've said enough in the last few moments for us to realise that if we're going to talk about our purpose as human beings... We must talk about creation. For this is how the Bible begins and ends. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the final vision in the final chapters of Revelation, we read of a new heaven and a new earth. You see, creation is not just the backdrop of the biblical story. Creation is the story. You can summarise the whole Bible into a few simple steps. God created the universe and it was very good. The universe was ravaged by human evil and sin. Pained by the damage, God committed himself to the restoration of his good creation. To begin this process, God had to first redeem the people who had caused the mess. This he achieved through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. In the rising of Jesus from the grave, the new creation began. It will be brought to glorious completion when he returns a second time. Then God's people will live with him in his perfected creation for eternity, just as God always intended. As human beings, we were made in God's image to tend to his creation. For eternity, we will be fully restored to that role. Creation care is the very first thing that God calls his people to in the Bible. And there is not one text in the whole of the rest of scripture that later exempts us from it. Indeed, when as Christians we come to properly understand God's great plan for his creation and the great sacrifice he made to fulfill it, this role should become even more important to us. Caring for creation is our mission. It is the purpose of every single one of our lives. It is important we back claims up like this with actual words from scripture. So let us turn to a few short passages now. First up, some vital verses from Genesis 1. 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 1, 26-28 is perhaps the most abused text in the whole of the Bible. It has been used to do great damage down through the centuries, an excuse to rape and pillage the earth. Oh, how badly wrong that is. These verses tell us that God had a purpose when he put human beings on the earth. A purpose so important, he made us in his image so that we would be capable and entitled to carry it out. God sent us to fill the earth and subdue it. The word translated subdue here is related to agriculture. Like a farmer subdues weeds and thorns to bring the best crop from the land, our task is to bring the best out of God's creation. Right at the beginning, God sent up a simple cycle. As humans subdue the earth, it flourishes. As it flourishes, it supports more human life. As humans multiply, they can look after more and more of creation, leading that to flourish as well. Can you see, human beings and creation are supposed to be in this intimate relationship where if we play our role right, everything keeps getting better and better. What a privilege and responsibility that is. Now take that understanding into another important word in these verses, the word rule. Human beings are to rule over what God has made. Again, consider what a privilege this is. This is a task given to no other species than human beings. As his image, God passes on to us a delegated form of his authority so we can carry out his wishes. In the ancient world, kings would set up an image of themselves in the far-flung corners of their empire. In the days before internet and television, those images represented the king and reminded the distant regions that they lived under his sovereignty. In the same way, human beings are to represent God. We are to rule over creation in the same way that he rules over us so that all creation might benefit from him. In the Bible, particularly places like Psalm 145, God's reign is characterised by wisdom, power, goodness, grace, compassion, faithfulness, provision, protection, justice and love. In other words, God's reign is wholly good. Those same qualities must be seen in the way we look after the world. In other words, these verses do not give us permission to do what we like, to reign as tyrants over the earth. These verses constrain us to act only as God would. We are to look after creation with great love. If we don't, we destroy the image of God within ourselves and cease to be truly human. Let us add another text to our brief survey. This is Genesis 2, 15. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You will recognise these familiar words from the beginning of the story about Adam and Eve. Again, they speak powerfully into our mission as human beings. It may come as a disappointment to some of us, but human beings were actually made to work. Laying around being lazy is actually not good for us, whereas true satisfaction comes from knowing a job well done. Adam was told to work the garden. Now, the word work here can also be translated serve. Adam was to be a servant of the garden. So as human beings, we are to reign as God's kings over creation, but at the same time, we are to work as servants. Servant kings. Does that remind you of anybody? Remember that Jesus was the perfect example of what human beings were supposed to act like. This idea of service is then added to by the words take care. Adam was to take care of the garden. In other words, he was to keep it safe with devoted attention. The Hebrew words here denote protection, watchfulness. Adam was to understand the garden as worthy of his very best efforts. I hope a clear picture is now beginning to be formed in our minds. Human beings were placed into creation for the benefit of creation. The first mission given to us was to protect the created world's best interests. Rivers and mountains, flowers and trees, deer and butterflies cannot speak for themselves. We are to speak for them, care for them, champion them. In fact, Proverbs 12.10 declares that looking after animals is a righteous act. Now, I know that this sermon is beginning to sound like the Green Party manifesto that was launched this week. So it's important we realise at this point that there is a distinct difference between a thoroughly biblical view of creation care and the environmental campaigns of today. And that difference comes in the terms of our motive. As Christians, we are not to look after the world for purely selfish reasons, so we might enjoy it. Or so that when our grandchildren arrive, the air is still breathable and the land still farmable. Those are important considerations, of course, but they should not be the number one driving force of Christians. As God's people, we are to give ourselves to looking after creation because first and foremost, creation brings glory to God. Creation exists for the praise and glory of its creator. Think about it. God was perfectly complete in himself before he made anything. He created purely for the sheer delight it would bring him. This is why our reading today was Psalm 148. Psalm 148 is just one of the numerous places in the Bible where the whole of creation is summoned to praise God. Anima and inanimate, animal and mineral, are called to give a grateful response to the Creator for their very existence. Now, this may baffle us. As human beings, we struggle to get into the mind of another human being, let alone an animal, and still less a rock or a tree. But the Bible tells us that God does understand His creation, all of it, 
human and non-human, and he rightfully receives praise and glory from it all. Just because we cannot explain how creation praises its maker, or how God receives that praise, does not mean that it does not happen. In its mere existence, creation glorifies God. After all, when we look at a sunrise across Loch Indoor, or the mist rising off the Lagan River, or the deer running on the hills, creation takes our breath away. It makes us cry out, wow, God, this is glorious. If creation does that to us, how much more pleasure does the one who designed every atom take from it? So let us be clear about this. When we care for creation, we are sharing in the great purpose of giving glory to God, for truly he is worth it. Conversely, when we destroy, pollute or waste creation, we are reducing its capacity to give glory to God. We are preventing God from getting the praise that he deserves. So yes, humans and creation are intimately connected. If we damage it, we suffer. The Green Party, Extinction Rebellion, David Attenborough, Greta Thunberg are right to point this out. We need prophets like these. But our vision as Christians should be so much bigger than theirs. We are seeking to help creation give glory to God. What a mission for life that is. There is one last thing to say. If we are part of God's creation and God receives glory from his creation, then we too can delight God with our own creative acts. After all, God made us in his image. He made us to be naturally creative. One of the explicitly human ways that we can worship God is by using our physicality, the gifts and talents God has bestowed upon us. If God delights in birdsong and flowers opening their petals and the colours of sunset, he also gains glory when we do beautiful things. Understanding this helps us to break down the wall between the sacred and the secular. It reminds us that God is interested in everything we do. God takes pleasure in the smell of apple pie. He loves to look at our art and listen to our music and poetry. Just like a parent, he takes pride in our craft projects. Why not take this to a bigger scale? If you are building a house, which several people in our church are doing at the moment, understand that God likes good architecture and takes satisfaction in a well-made family home. Let's go further and think about sport. Eric Liddell from Chariots of Fire fame once said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Enjoying a game or a sport with friends when done in a spirit of thankfulness brings glory to the God who created our bodies capable of doing athletic things. And then, of course, there is sex and parenthood, the ongoing act of creation. God delights in this too. He takes great pride in what our love produces. So if you're a parent here, don't beat yourself up because you have little time to serve in church or evangelise your neighbours. Your mission at this moment is to bring up your children as best you can. 
It is your creative act that brings glory to God. There is a fascinating verse right at the end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, 24, we read that God has set up his heavenly city and he calls the redeemed in Christ to take up their place within it. As they do so, the nations of the earth come in. But here is the key bit. They bring their splendor with them. They bring their gifts to God, just as the Magi did to the baby Jesus. What this verse tells us is that beyond the redeeming of God's people, God will also redeem human culture and civilization. At the end of the age, God is not going to destroy all the creative work of human beings. He will keep and perfect all that glorified him. He will delight in them for eternity. I cannot tell you which masterpieces by Rembrandt we will find in glory or which oratorios by Handel. But we will see evidence of all the art, music, craft and creative work that has enhanced creation and brought delight to the Lord. I hope this sermon has blown our minds a little bit. At the very least, I hope it has helped us to realise that God is interested in every act of our lives, not just what we do in church on a Sunday. We set out in this sermon trying to understand what our purpose in life is, what our mission from God entails. We have discovered that we cannot even begin to answer that question if we don't understand our role in creation and our identity as God's image. We literally exist to bring glory to God. And our prime task is to enable all of creation to exalt the Lord. Creation care is very important. It really does matter what we do with our plastic and how many times we fly and how we treat animals. If we destroy the habitat of a species, we stop that species giving glory to God. Our own creative acts are also very important. God takes pleasure from them. If you are a builder, a musician, a writer, a distiller, a painter, those things are not a distraction from your purpose, as if that can only be found in attending church or evangelism. Using your talents in those ways is part of your purpose. Be conscious of worshipping God as you use your gifts. In a moment, we will leave these doors. It's not the end of our praise. It's the beginning. In your office, your kitchen, your studio, your garden, your bedroom and on the sports field. Your mission is to live for the glory of God in the sheer physicality of your createdness.